I think it's a fair thing to say that in one way or another, everyone that you'll ever meet is looking for love somehow. Um, if you ever switch on the radio and listen to uh, just modern music, pop music, you'll find that nine times out of ten, most of the songs you'll ever hear are about finding love, or having love, or losing love. And I think it points to a drive within each of us to, to have real love, to know it, to experience it. And as we've been doing over the last few weeks, we have been looking at this letter, First John, and examining the Christian understanding of love. And we've been seeing it from different viewpoints every week. John sort of almost speaks about the same thing, but just comes at it from a, from a different angle. And so this week, um, the passage that Susie has just read out for us, um, we're going to really take a close look um, at that love. And <clears throat> it makes it very specific and clear for us. So we'll see uh, through the course of this message, number one, the quality of love. Secondly, we're going to look at uh, the life of love. Thirdly, the power of love. And fourth and finally, the hope of love. And when I said the power of love, I bet you were probably starting to think of one of those songs, you know, <clears throat> that comes on at this time of year, uh, the power of love. Anyway, let's look first of all at the quality of love, according to what John is teaching. And it seems to be at this stage in the letter, particularly at the beginning of chapter three, which is a few verses in from our reading uh, this evening, uh, John is talking, he's addressing the churches, and then it's almost as if he stops mid-thought, and he puts his pen down, and he, he exclaims this amazing truth in verse one of chapter three, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. As a child, I, I somehow or other, I ended up learning the King James version of that verse. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. It sounds just a bit better, doesn't it, in that old language? And that's actually where we get the title of our sermon series from, Behold, What Love, uh, from this verse itself. What is he saying? John is saying, look at this love. He's saying to his readers, gaze upon this love. There it is, he says. Look at it. What kind is it? What type is it? Literally, it means of what country is this love from? When he says what manner? What country has it come from? He's saying that this love, this Christian understanding of love is of a different realm. It's from a different planet altogether. As um, a final year medical student a number of years ago, I had the opportunity of taking a trip to the north of India as part of my medical studies. And uh, one day, one afternoon, I was riding into town. It was actually a city, about 1.2 million people, uh, riding into town on the back of a, a motorbike. It was a thrilling experience. I remember it very clearly like it happened yesterday. I had no helmet on my head. I was the passenger on the back seat. I was grimacing because there was nothing preventing my face from being filled with the smell and the, the wind. In fact, if you want to come and see afterwards, I've got a little chip in my tooth uh, where I was just grimacing and must have got a bit of grit or something stuck in it, but that's where I got it from. Anyway, as we were wh whistling along on the back of the, I was on the back of this motorbike, uh, it was just, my, my senses were almost being uh, bombarded 
the brightly colored outfits that the women were wearing, the, the orange of the dusty roads that we were traveling on, the dogs, the cows just wandering everywhere, people everywhere. You could smell the, the food stalls as we uh, went through the marketplace, the diesel from all the trucks, the rubbish, the heat. It was a, an otherworldly experience. Um, so far removed from my own experience back at home, even just that whistle-stop tour on our way into the city centre. Maybe you've had a similar experience yourself, where you've been abroad in some exotic and far-off country, and you may as well be on a different planet. It is so unusual, so odd. And John is saying here, at this part in the letter, this love shown to us by God the Father is like nothing in our usual experience. It is like it has come to us from another planet. Nothing in our own experience can equate to the love that God gives to his children. Why is that? Because they're called children of God. They actually are children of God. See, this isn't just a vague notion or some sort of pipe dream. God actually calls us his children. And it says he, he gives um, or in the old translations, he, he lavishes or he bestows his love upon them. And this is a kind of love that is a, a different order to the stuff they sing about in the pop songs. Uh, often our modern concept of love is so fragile. You know, like picking up a handful of, of sand and trying to hold on to it. It just slips between your fingers. You, once you have it, and then a moment later it disappears. It comes to nothing. But that is not the kind of love that we're talking about here. The kind of love that John presents us with from God <coughs> is from another planet. You see, many of us, I think, inside the church or even those of us who are from outside the church often think of God in very different ways to what John is explaining here. Um, some of us think of God as, as an angry judge whose job it is to go around and punish sinful human beings. That's how we think of God. Or we might think of him as a hard taskmaster that we have to get busy, we have to do work to please him, we have to do things to keep him happy. Yes, God is a judge. Yes, God has requirements of the way that we live our lives. But the way that we relate to him, according to John, is as our Father. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we become children by grace. We're adopted by God. This is otherworldly love. And God has lavished this love on us simply because that's what he does. He is a loving father. It's who he is. It's the kind of God that he is. He lavishes his love upon us to make us his children. He sent his own son to make us his children, to show us the depths and the quality of his love. He gave us his son, his only son, his only natural son, to make us sons and daughters by adoption. And we've already seen in the, in the previous few talks that we've done through the book of First John already, that Jesus Christ, his blood cleanses us from all sin. That his sacrifice makes us free. That's how he shows us his love. So John says, behold, what manner, see what God did, see what he did 
to save you. We're not going to spend too much thinking about this just now, but just think for a moment about the security that that brings you. Knowing what God has done to show his love to you. That you are the beloved of God. What confidence does that just just give our hearts before him? Knowing that you relate to God as a, a father, a child to a father. So the quality of the love is shown. Behold what love, that we are children of God. But then John moves, as he does so often in this letter, (coughs) from that sort of vertical um, relationship between God and his people to then the life of love, (coughs) the horizontal bit that flows out of it. We've seen that that depth, that quality of love so far in this series is is profoundly life-changing. It it has demands, it has um, a claim on the way that we live our lives. Simply put, to know love is to show love. Just like a child resembles his or her parents, so too children of God are to resemble their heavenly father. When Eliza was born, there's quite a lot of discussion that still remains to this day about what parts of her look like me and what parts of her look like Marion. Her eyes, her, her mouth, you know, her hands, all that kind of stuff. Every child gets subject to that kind of investigation and quite often people say, oh, he looks just like his dad, or she looks just like her, her mother. And that's the kind of thing that John is expecting children of God to look and sound and, and behave like their father. He says as much in, in chapter 2, verse 29, and chapter 3, verse 7, both of them on your sheet. He says that God is righteous. And you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness, that is, who does righteousness, is born of, born of God. Or in verse 7, whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he that is God is righteous. See, John expects that if you truly know God, if you are truly a recipient of his love, if you have grasped that, if you are a child of God, then you behave and you act like a child of God. The father loves and does what is right, and so therefore the children love and do what is right. It is this visible evidence that John is always driving us towards that we must have the beloved, the children of God. Why is it so important? Why does John spend so much time in his letter showing that there is this deep connection between our relationship to God and our relationship to one another? Well, again, we've seen this over the last few weeks. Uh, We've seen that John is addressing a group of churches, and it's not just any group of churches, there's a specific group of churches that are plagued by a group of people within those churches. It seems to be that there are some who claim to know God, who, who, who say that they have some divine connection, and yet their lives do not match up. They claim to belong to God, and yet they show they don't. They don't bear out the family resemblance they claim to have. They are not children of God. But not only that, as troubling as that might be, they are teaching other people in the churches to do likewise to live as they live, to draw them away. And so John has to speak in very sharp and direct terms to take on this strain of false teaching within the churches. Look down at verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. See, making a practice of sinning 
It's not just the occasional sin that John is talking about. He addresses that elsewhere. What he's talking about here are those who make sin and sinning part of their lifestyle. That they are so out of sync with God's ways that it's just normal for them. They're making a practice of unrighteousness, of sin. They do not act justly as God acts justly. They do not care for the poor as God cares for the poor. They do not love one another sacrificially as God loves sacrificially. They do not live holy lives as God himself is holy. They practice instead lawlessness because sin is lawlessness. We're not talking here, by the way, about the breaking of law. But we are talking about a blatant disregard for God's standards, a rejection, a setting aside of all that God says and does. These people within the churches are basically saying this. I want to live as I please, irrespective of what I say I believe in. I want to define my own reality, irrespective of what God has said. These people clearly have things in their lives that that, that, that gather more attention than their love and their affection for Jesus. But they maintain these claims of spiritual connection with God. But John really doesn't hold anything back in verse 6. He says, if you keep on sinning, if you live this kind of life, you show that you're not a child of God. In fact, he goes as far as saying in verse 8, if you live like this, you're not a child of God, you're a child of the devil. You're not representing God, your father, you're representing your real father, the evil one. It almost, I mean, it feels shocking to even say that, to read this out loud. Just imagine if you were one of the original hearers of that letter, knowing that these things were happening in your church. And here's John, the apostle, with the apostolic authority, saying there are some in your church that are not children of God, they're children of the devil. And you tell that by the pattern of their lives. You're behaving like your father. Why, why is John so harsh? Especially for someone who is so overwhelmed with, <coughs> pardon me, with love. And so focused on love. How can someone who is supposed to be all about love say something so unloving, something so harsh? As we've been thinking over the last few weeks, John speaks in very stark terms to try and unveil the lie because these people, these teachers within the church who are leading people astray, they're doing it by deception. Some say they are the children of God, but they are not. And John has to expose that in verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Today, in the 21st century, <coughs> one of the biggest obstacles keeping outsiders from joining the church is the lives of those who claim to be Christian, but their lives do nothing but bring shame to the name of God. Remember that quote from Gandhi, the famous Indian civil rights leader? He said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Maybe Gandhi was looking at the kind of false believers, the kind of false teachers that John is talking about here. It's a constant 
threat and a challenge to the church. Don't forget, the context of all we're reading here is inside the church. We're not, primary, we're not talking about people outside the church, but we're talking about those who are inside. And according to John, there are two kinds of people, and they are radically different. Radical is the root. At the root, they are different. There's no middle ground. There's no gray area, according to John. You're either a children of God, child of God or you're a child of the evil one. It's as stark as that. <coughs> it's not very pleasant, of course, but these are the facts as we have them here. They're unsettling, but that's the point. They're meant to unsettle us. And in one sense, we could say even further that people outside the church have a right to judge us. They have a right to look at us as the church and say, are they children of God or not? Can we see their love for one another or not? Can we see their righteous lives or not? Are they caring for the poor or not? We've thought about the quality of that love. Behold what love. We've, we've thought about the life of love and how no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Just does not mix. Now we'll think about the power of love. <coughs> this kind of love that John is teaching about is unmistakable because it's observable. You can see it. It has great power. It's caused great transformation within us. But where does this transforming power come from? Um, before we go on, by the way, it's important to state um, that it's not that the, the, the people are born into one group or the other randomly. It's not that you're either born as a child of God or you're born as a child of the evil one. It's not that we are randomly assigned at our birth to one group or the other as if our our parents, if they were brought up in the church and we're brought up in the church, then we're a child of God. If they're not in the church, then we're a child of the evil one. It doesn't work like that. At this stage, it's actually helpful for us to just think for a few moments about the big picture in the Bible. It says down there in verse 8, the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The devil, that is otherwise known as Satan, been sinning from the beginning. Satan is a created being. He's an angel <clears throat> who was created with free will. And yet somewhere in time, he rebelled against God's rule. He was tempted, sorry, he tempted our first parents in the Garden of Eden to follow suit, them to rebel against God's rule and his, reject his character and disobey and that's exactly what happened and he, you can see that in Genesis 3 right at the beginning of the Bible <coughs> the devil appears as a serpent he tempts Adam and Eve to sin they do that, they disobey God and then the, the, the time that we call the fall, it's not actually a word in the Bible, uh, but they fell from a state of innocence and per, sort of perfection to a place of sin and rebellion and with them not just those two, but all of humankind after them. It's almost like we inherit the family resemblance. All of us are born with this inner desire and drive to go against God, to prefer our own way. We want lawlessness rather than righteousness. And that's how all of humankind starts. 
So we're not randomly assigned to one group or the other, child of God or a child of the evil one. We're all born, according to the Bible, in that family, children of the evil one. Maybe you can start to see the problem here as we're thinking about these two groups. (coughs) Just as in uh, biology, you can't change species just because you decide to, or you can't change your heritage just because you decide to, so too you cannot change your spiritual heritage simply because you decide to. You can't move from one group to another just because you want to. The Bible is clear. Elsewhere it describes this relationship, this family that we are born into as slavery. We are enslaved to the evil one. We are in bondage. We have no choice. We are powerless to leave our spiritual heritage. That's where we all start off life. A few months ago, we had Ruth Cook from International Justice Mission, and she came and told, told us about their, their ministry and their work. And uh, one of the focuses over the last few months has been uh, work in a place called Lake Volta in Ghana, a massive freshwater lake. Uh, many, many people work on the lake every day catching fish. And very sadly, a a large number of young boys are often sold into slavery to go and work on the fishing boats on Lake Volta. Uh, Because often their families themselves are so poor. (coughs) And so instead of being at primary school, because they're often very small boys, they're working 12 hours a day on the boats, fishing. They bear the scars in their own bodies of accidents and beatings from their slave masters. Many tell of stories of other boys who have dived into the lake to untangle nets, never to come to the surface again. They drown. Very dangerous work. And these boys, many, many hundreds of them, we think, are held by fear. They're held by violence from their slave masters. These boys have no choices. They have no way out. They are stuck in this life day after day. They can't get out. They just can't decide to leave. But the mission and the ministry of International Justice Mission helps so many to be rescued and reclaimed from that slavery to receive the help and the care and the love that they need to be restored. And likewise, what John is getting at, we are stuck in slavery to the evil one. But behold, what love. John reminds us in verse 8 that Jesus appeared, look down there at verse 8, to destroy the works of the devil. That word destroy has its root in loosening or untying, just like you would untie a slave who is chained up. That is what Jesus has done For his people, through his death on the cross, Jesus, the Son of God, destroyed the ropes that tied us, that kept us enslaved to the evil one. He did this for us. The Son of God gave himself so that we could be sons and daughters of God. And so when you trust in Jesus and what he did for you, you are freed, you are set free, you are loosed from being enslaved, from being a child of the evil one, to being a child of God. 
And it says there in verse 9, God's seed, when that happens, when you're free and released, God's seed abides in you. That is God's life itself, his power, his spirit remains in you. So what is that power of love? It is the work of Christ for you. And it is the spirit or the seed of God in you. You've gone from darkness to light. You've been saved from one destructive family and adopted by a loving, lavishing father who freed you and gave you his life. (coughs) That's the power of love. But what if you're (coughs) sitting here tonight and hearing all this stuff about the power of love, but maybe you're hearing this and you don't think or don't feel very powerful. Maybe you are a new believer and you have been failing so many times that you feel like you have no power in your life to overcome sins. Maybe you're a long-term believer and on reflection, there are areas in your life that just seem resistant to the work of God. You feel like you don't have any power to overcome them. You can't see the effects of this power that we're talking about in your own life. Um, (coughs) A preacher and a commentator by the name of David Jackman, when he was looking at these verses, said this, a house with an electricity supply has a constant access to a very powerful energy source. But it's no good if nothing is plugged into it. See, what he's getting at is this. When we trust in Christ, the life of God, that is the seed of God, is is implanted within us. It's given to us, this great power source. But when we sin, it's because we fail to allow that power to flow into every facet of our lives into our thoughts and our motives and our circumstances we fail to turn on the power supply (coughs) but I have a growing conviction that real change is possible because of the power of love the love of God true power is available to every child of God not just the special ones or the spiritual ones every child of God has the power of God And therefore, real change is possible. And so through the confession of our sins and through the cleansing and forgiving work of Christ, gradually, it is possible for you and I and everyone who hears this to gain victory over old habits and characteristics. You can be changed. You will have power. Jackman goes on to say this. The speed and the depth of change in your life will largely depend on the extent to which you allow the Holy Spirit to control every area of your life. I'll say that again. The speed and the depth of this change in your life will largely depend on the extent to which you allow the Holy Spirit to control each area of your life. You are in touch with the power source, in other words. The question is, are you plugging into it? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that means that this power is already available to you. But perhaps you are holding on to something 
Perhaps you are preventing the Holy Spirit from working in a certain area in your life. Maybe you are afraid of what might happen if you open yourself more fully to God's Spirit. See, with God, there is nothing to fear. We have just been learning how He is a loving Father. In a few moments, we're going to pray. Um, and there's going to be an opportunity, I think, for us to, to, to reach out and, and receive that power that we see here. To pray for a fresh filling, to ask for a renewed sense of what God can do and wants to do in your life. That's the power of love. Finally, fourthly, <coughs> the hope of love. This is just a short one. There is hope. Fear not, fellow brother and sister. The end has not yet come. The best is yet to come. Look down with me at verse 2. Beloved, those who are loved of God, we are God's children now. This is our present reality. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. The fact is that we are God's children now and yet we are not the finished article. We will be like him. This is the great Christian hope. The return of Christ and we'll be like him. So we've got to ask ourselves, for this to be good news, what is Christ like? How have we seen him presented to us already in the letter of 1 John? We know, in verse 3, Christ is pure. And one day we will be fully pure, just like him. Christ is righteous. <coughs> and we will be fully righteous, just as he is. He is victorious, and we will be victorious. He is resurrected, and we will be raised. He is glorious. And one day, we will be glorious. All of grace. Not by anything we have done ourselves, but because of God's lavish love. One day, child of God, you will be like Christ. See, now we have the power. Now we have the anointing of God upon us. His seed is within us. And now, as a church, we push back the darkness... We preach the gospel, we show love, we are shining the light of Christ into the darkness. But one day, says John, we will be changed. All that will be finished. And we will be changed, how? By seeing him. I don't know how that works. We will be like him because we will see him as he is. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. It says in a number of places that we'll look at Christ and be changed. I guess it's like a suntan lying in the sun's rays, basking in the rays of the sun. It causes a transformation upon us. We start to take on warmth. We, we start to glow. We take on a shimmer. We become a little bit more like the sun when we stand in the sun. And I guess in some much greater, much more wonderful, much more deep and profound way when we see Christ face to face as you are looking at me and I am looking at you, 
we will stand in his radiance and in his energy and in his gloriousness and in his perfection and we will be like him. Behold what love. Of what planet has this come from? This is love according to the Christian understanding. And it's free and available for everyone who wants to receive it. Amen. We're going to pray together now as a church. The guys are going to come up um, in a few moments. And after I pray, rather than just going straight into singing a song, I'm just going to allow a little time. I think it's important for us to um, just allow God, the Holy Spirit, to to work. And um, so we'll do that. So maybe it just helps actually uh, to stand together and we'll pray. And then a few moments just of... um, of reflection as the guys play. So why don't you stand with me just now? Let's pray. Father God, you have shown us this otherworldly love when you made us your children. Because this is what we are. Your spirit is within us. Your son has freed us. His resurrection life and power is within us. May we delight in your love. May we revel in the fact that we are children by grace, by faith in Christ. May we live lives of love and righteousness, doing justice and mercy. (coughs) Now I'm just going to allow a little time for us all um, to respond to the Holy Spirit. Maybe you need to confess a particular sin or a pattern of sin in your life just now. Maybe you need to lean more into the love of the Father and open yourself to his work and his power in your life. Maybe you need to just remain in a sense of his presence as he removes your fear and beckons you to come to him. It's a few moments of reflection. <clears throat>